0: Hello, everybody. You are listening to Limited Playtime, the board game podcast, where we bring you board game reviews in 30 minutes or less. Or the next episode is free. I am Kyle Bolin. And I am Jason R. Cavallari. And today, we are not doing a review. It is our 120th episode, and we implied on the previous episode that we would need some extra time to prepare for this uh, amazing uh 120th episode uh and we had a grand plan of like doing a game uh playing a game and recording it and making sure that it was you know radio appropriate and entertaining and so we went and tested a game called Fog of Love and decided we were not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we might do a review on it but it's yeah, not th- uh, I think not it's good worth good talking for life, about like. for sure but yeah it was going to take too long and uh, just I don't, I don't know that it always would have played well over radio, because it's not like you're always role-playing the, the role that you're kind of like thrown into for that game, yeah. uh, so we were just like, eh, this is too borderline, I think we're going to go with just a, we'll, we'll go with a plan B, and so we uh, thought, what a disappointment that was, so we might as well bring you 10 more disappointments. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let us disappoint you further. <laughs> yeah. So today, we are talking about our top 10 disappointments in board gaming. Yes. Uh, and this is a this is a collated list. This is a list of 10, not two lists of 10. So, it's Jason and I have agreed on which 10 games we would wish to focus on and talk about. And then we also uh, agreed over time on how to order them from 10 to 1, 10 being the least disappointing and number 1 being our most disappointing game. Now, what does disappointing mean, Jason? Are these bad games? Not necessarily. Um
1: they're games for which, I personally, this is how I'm explaining it to myself, really. I, it, they're games for which I had high expectations, or I really, really wanted them to be something, and then it turns out that they weren't that thing, and so the experience of playing them was disappointing. Not that playing the game was bad, it's just not what I wanted or expected.
0: Yeah, that that's exactly how I would have put it too, maybe with the additional little nugget of... Maybe there was a lot of hype around a game, and mm-hmm. and that that sort of set up a certain amount of expectation that then it didn't quite live up to. Uh, I, I don't know. Like the, the the one game that I thought about specifically that would have fallen into that category was Seafall, but we didn't put Seafall on this game or on on this game on, on this, this, game. this list. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. did not put Seafall on this list, but we've got maybe one game, maybe one game, maybe more than one game on there that still kind of fall into that category of. This was right up our alley. Also, it had a lot of hype, or in one case, it had a lot of hype. So we'll get right, there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's start at the top of the list. Uh, Jason, yeah, uh, do, do you? Let's see. You should. You really cared about who reads what, so I think you should, you should probably go probably first. So yeah, I'll do the yeah. the the n- the number ten spot on our list. the 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 least most disappointing game on this list is C- Cloudspire.
1: Yeah. Did we talk about this in an episode? I can't remember. We,
0: yeah, we totally did. We reviewed okay. it entirely uh, uh, on on an episode and we, we spoke about it on one of our 2019 Gen Con episodes after we played it super right. late at night yeah. with Phil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I think on that episode, we did say that it didn't quite blow us away with the competitive part of the game, Mm -hmm. uh, but I really enjoyed the cooperative and the solo parts of the game, and that still is true. The, The reason why it's on this list is because... This came from Chip Theory Games, the the designers and the publisher that put out Too Many Bones, which is one of my favorite games of all time at this point. And so there was a certain amount of pedigree there. There was a certain amount of excitement overseeing the next big thing from them. Uh, that led me to be as excited as I can possibly be about a board game for Cloudspire, and it's a good game, I think. Uh, it's just that I think that. Part of this is on me because I was taking a look at the way that they were billing this and saying it's a MOBA, you know, uh, uh, what are they, multiplayer online battle arena? Uh, A game that is like a a, a game that is styled after the video games such as Dota 2 and League of Legends. Um, And those are games that Jason and I have played uh, at least a little bit in the past. And we have Mm -hmm. some like, you know, familiarity with them to the point where we felt like, hey, this sounds like fun, you know? And I think After playing more of it, I realized that it's less of a MOBA and more of just a straight tower defense game. And I'm less excited about those. So it doesn't quite scratch the itches that I expected it to. And part of that, like I said, is on me. Um, but also, like, I just, I think that it kind of fell a little bit short of my expectations in terms of what it was going to serve me as a competitive game with other people. I think that it does a great job uh, putting together, like, you know, the solo and the co-op um, scenarios. That all works great. I love those to death. Uh, but the, the the part that just, just disappointed me, because it just wasn't quite as fun as I hoped, for me, was that that competitive part. And now Jason has tried too many bones. And so retroactively you said you were kind of thinking about it and kind of comparing the two experiences. So,
1: yeah, I I said this the other day when we were putting the list together is like Cloudspire is sort of like retroactively disappointing to me because I, at the point that we had played Cloudspire, I had not played too many bones. And so I didn't really have any expectations for games coming from chip theory games or anything in that, that wheelhouse. And so, when we played it, I was like, "Yeah, this is a fine game." Like, there's, I didn't see a lot wrong with it. Um, but now that I've played too many bones, I can see there's still nothing wrong with the game. But th- there's, um, if I had played too many bones first, I would have had a similar experience to Kyle. I would have expected a lot more uh, from what this game was
0: billed as. Yeah, you, you expect something that's like, "Oh my gosh, what a revelation!" You know, because that's what you, that's the experience you have the first time or two that you play too many phones yeah. and that didn't happen to us playing Cloud Spire. Yeah, no, um, it, it's a fine game um,
1: yeah. and I enjoyed playing it. Uh, it just doesn't match up to other things from that same company (laughs)
0: yep so that's why it's at number 10 not because it's a bad game it's a good game uh it just uh didn't live up to the expectations that i had at the time or (laughs) the retroactive expectations (laughs) that jason is placing on it so yeah exactly (laughs) yeah all right number nine jason
1: okay number nine is uh mansions of madness second edition um i put this on i wanted to put this on the list because um, again, I don't think it's a bad game necessarily. I enjoyed playing it and I would play it again. Um, but a couple of things about this one, a lot of, you know, that I'm a big fan of Cthulhu games. Um, I just love those tentacles. I do. I just, I don't know what it is, even though I don't really, we've talked about this before. I don't like reading Lovecraft. I think his stories are boring, but they I suck. love yeah. <laughs> games that are themed on his mythos or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so so yeah so I I've played a lot of games with that theme um and I so I kind of expect or at least hope for a lot from them um and this one just didn't bring the level of intricacy and and kind of excitement and awe that you would feel from, you know, battling these things that are sort of supposed to be beyond mortal comprehension um I <sighs> I, I compare it to things that I enjoy in that wheelhouse, like Arkham Horror, for example, um, or even the first edition of Mansions of Madness. Uh, Kyle, Kyle described Arkham Horror the other day as like a beautiful mess, uh, <laughs> which I think is quite accurate. I mean, it's it's sort of nightmarishly uh, uh, unapproachable in terms of the rules and all the different It looks like a board scenarios. game
0: factory threw up on your table when you're playing it.
1: Oh, yeah. There's like 20 decks and like a billion <laughs> counters. and I mean, it's just crazy. Um, but once you get it, <laughs> like it's not
0: complicated, I mean, it's not no. like, difficult to, to grasp the rules or anything. No,
1: no, no, no. But there are so many like situations and s- sub situations and uh, it, 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 there's just a lot sort of to take in. Um, but, and, and Manchester man's first edition was kind of like that too. I mean, there's so many, there's like, I don't know, there's, there's puzzles and there's a, a game master and then there's the monsters and then there's the exploration and then the, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot to it and i think one of the things that's good about newer editions of these games is that they streamline a lot of that and make them a lot more approachable but i think it loses a lot also um in terms of the sort of feeling that you get playing it that this is like a, a complex world with these things that are uh, nearly impossible for humans to defeat and sort of there's kind of a mismatch there for me.
0: Sounds like you think that, I mean, like you, when when a game comes out with a second edition and they refine it, there's a bit of a, like a sanding the edges off, right? And right. with Mansions of Madness second edition, it sounds like you just feel like they went too far and streamlined it to the point where it no longer feels, has the sort of like feel of the feel of discovery, the feel of, you know, like exploration in the same sense that those other games did where, yeah. you know, it... it, it I don't know, like, I, I see how they're both similar still, because with the app, it's still randomizing a lot of things the way that the card decks would have in those previous games. Yeah. Um, it just, it doesn't feel quite the same when the app is telling you something's happening, because it's like, well, did you decide that randomly? Did you decide that because mm-hmm. of some sort of situation on that's, that's happening within the app right now that I set up? Like, there's there's just a lot more sort of, like... I don't know, like, uncertainty about why things are happening, I feel like, in those apps. And, and I feel like that kind of affects how you enjoy the events that occur while you're playing those games. Um, yeah, it feels like there isn't some intelligence from beyond the stars <laughs> yeah. trying to, you know, destroy humanity or whatever. Yeah, and I don't think I was as dis- disappointed in the gameplay as you were with this game when we were talking about this uh, earlier this week. It, it was like, you know, it, it's what I expected out of it, you know? Yeah. Um, having played the, the app-driven co-op version of Imperial Assault in the past. Um, What I've heard about Mansions of Madness and and just kind of knowing what the first Mansions of Madness was like and how they've, you know, like streamlined all of that and and made it fully co-op in in this app. Um, I think it met my expectations in that way, but where it fell short was the content. That too. There, there yeah. just isn't that much stuff in the box for a $100 game. Yeah. Uh, there's, it's a large box. Maybe that's really that large because they're expecting you to get all these expansions and, you know, spend 300 bucks on this game or 400 or whatever. Uh, but there's four scenarios that come with it out of the box, which to me is a low number of scenarios. Uh, they're pretty long. So, I mean, maybe you still end up playing the same amount of time with this game as you might, like, you know, $10 one-hour scenarios out of any other game, so maybe I'm just, you know, like misperceiving how this thing should be perceived. Uh, but that kind of rubbed me wrong, but then also just the number of figures and the number of enemies that you run into, just the number of bits and pieces seemed low for a $100 game in a giant box.
1: Yeah, and there's something about that, too, that it's like it, it, they've streamlined the thing to the point where, like, they've also reduced this kind of wondrous variety yeah, of yeah. extraterrestrial yes. creatures yes. to
0: like three or four things yes. um
1: and it's that's disappointing
0: yeah because then throughout all of the different scenarios you're just recycling the same half dozen enemies that you've already played against you know time and right, time yeah. again right yeah um, and, and there's never any big surprises then because it's like, oh, I forgot, you know, like you're playing lots of other games out there that have like deep monster decks or whatever. And it's like, oh, gosh, I forgot this thing even existed, you know? Yeah. Or the first edition crazy- of
1: Arkham Horror, like you put all these yeah. monster chids yeah. in a bowl and you just, there's yeah. like, I don't know, a hundred of them. Yeah. And you pull one out randomly when they spawn and you're like, oh, crap, this thing, like. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: Alright, so anyway, that is Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Not a terrible game by any means, just uh, a bit of a disappointment for a couple of reasons. So yep. uh, Number 8 is The Gods War. What, Jason? We're putting a Peterson Games game on this list of disappointing games? <laughs> I mean, we've had other disappointments no, I know. from Peterson yeah. Games. <laughs> thing. Oh, oh is... we forgot to put the actual title as Glorantha the Gods Oh, Glorantha War. the Gods War, you're yeah. right, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is a Peterson Games game. This is the follow-up to Cthulhu Wars, if you don't remember. Cthulhu Wars being one of the games that Jason and I are both on record as saying is, you know, uh, at the very least... Absolutely phenomenal! Uh, yeah. A game that you know we've both had on top ten lists in the past. Uh, a game that we've had just a riot playing every time we've sat down with it. It was the uh, subject of our very first episode. It was, yeah. And the Gods War was the follow up to that. It uses basically you know like the same the same systems, the same structure of of Cthulhu Wars, and they decided to add a bunch of other mechanics. To you know, to the initial sort of system that they created for Cthulhu Wars, I am assuming to try to I don't know bring in some of the thematic elements from Glorantha, which is its own sort of like world and role playing system, and it's got like you know like a-, a pretty sizable history, I believe, going back to the eighties or something like that uh, for role playing games and other tabletop games. Um, so you know, they they brought in all of these other like sort of like fiddly mechanics that I feel like just kind of like get in the way of the game. Um, and so I backed the God's War and I have the God's War and I've played the God's War and I've enjoyed the God's War, but it's a bit of a disappointment because it doesn't quite reach the highs of Cthulhu Wars because of the way that it gets in the way of itself, you know, when you're playing it, um, you know, like, there's there's multiple different things that occur where now you've got to stop and check the rule book because only once per game do you have the spire shatter or whatever it's called and have to figure out, you know, okay, now what are the steps for doing this now? Okay, now, like, you know, we get further into the game. Now we've got to stop and figure out this whole process where there's, like, a, an event that happens where somebody gets elected as the judge and then just, like, you know, basically yeah. at their whim hands out points, which can even be negative, I guess, in a big enough game. Um, it just felt like there was a lot of sort of, like, additional fiddly rules or just rules in general. They don't even have to be fiddly, but just things that maybe like, you know, uh, slow the game down, create these speed bumps uh and and make it flow not as well as Cthulhu Wars did. And yeah. you know, in addition to that, I just didn't like the colors. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like the color. <laughs> the map I think is a little bit ugly. Like it, you know, Cthulhu Wars doesn't have the most amazing map in the world, no, but it's not very it's, detailed. It's it's not super detailed, but, like, it uses a lot of primary colors, and that's a thing for me as a colorblind individual I really appreciate, because it's really difficult for me to see, you know, shades in between things that are in between the primary colors. And so, when there's a lot of primary colors in a game, I appreciate that, because I have way less confusion about what I'm looking at, and they just appeal to me. I just I just like the way they look better. Yeah. and. The God's War is a very muddy, brown, tan sort of game, and it just kind of looks like a big blobby mess to me. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like there's also just a little bit more attention to detail around like the edges of the zones and everything in Cthulhu Wars versus the God's War. So for me, the God's War isn't a bad game. Uh, I would love to play more of the God's War. I'd be excited to play more of the God's War. But when thinking about how it was going to stack up to its predecessor, Cthulhu Wars, it did disappoint me a little bit um, in, that re- in, that, in that respect.
1: Yeah, I, I don't have as much experience with The God's War as Kyle does. I've played it a couple times with with Kyle, and um, and it's a fine game. Like, the first game I played I really did not enjoy, mostly because I don't think I understood how the faction I was playing worked. um, And so I just kind of got steamrolled, and it just wasn't very fun. The second game I played was a lot more fun, um, but still, for a lot of the reasons that, that Kyle mentioned, it, it sort of fell just a little short of the bar I was expecting based on Cthulhu yeah. Wars. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, just just doesn't reach the same high. Nope. Nope. Uh, still, still a game. good game. Still good. Yep. <laughs> All right. Number seven, Jason. Okay, so number
1: seven is Star Wars Imperial Assault. Boo, uh, Star
0: Wars. We hate Star Wars. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kyle knows this, and I think most of you know this, that I am a Star Wars fanboy. Uh, I am very, very much a fan of that property. Um, And so whenever there's a Star Wars board game or a movie or TV show or a cartoon, like, I'm usually there for it, even with all of its problems. (laughs) Um, So, and I'm still there for Imperial Assault. I've played Imperial Assault a few times. Uh, Most of those times have been good, um, with the caveat that those were the times that the Imperial faction was run by... An actual person as opposed to the ai from from the the app um when i've played it with the app it's been a pretty miserable experience mostly because it's boring
0: i was literally falling asleep when i was playing it the last time
1: yeah it's it, playing it with the app is just boring <laughs> the i don't know what it is i the, the ai i mean it's it's, it's
0: monotonous
1: it really is. It's like, move, attack this thing, spawn more things. Move, attack this thing, spawn more things. It's it, there's, it, it, it's just very, very repetitious. It's, oh, it's painful. Yeah. Um, when you play against another player, though, the rules change, and the player making decisions for the Imperials that aren't based on, like, a Zerg style of playing um, makes it a little bit more nuanced, more fun... And includes act- more actual decisions than playing against the
0: AI on the app. Yeah, yeah, uh, yep. It was disappointing for me too. I was bored out of my mind. Yeah, it's, playing against the app,
1: it really is just boring. And you yeah. know, it's it's and it's disappointing, especially for somebody that's really into Star Wars, where you have this kind of attachment to a lot of these characters and you know how they're supposed to act. And, you know, so it, it can be really awesome when you're playing against somebody who's playing as yeah, like Darth Vader, yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah, this yeah. sort of menace uh, is coming as opposed to the app where they're just kind of throwing stormtroopers at you. Yeah,
0: yeah. Playing playing against a real human, I, it feels to me like you can hear the escalating music in your head when you're playing against a real human or playing as the <laughs> the bad guy against other real humans, you can... It, it has a cinematic quality to it, the way that there's this sort of back and forth and the way that the events, you know, they, they make sense. They, you know, like the, the thing that a human does to respond to another human feels more natural than the thing that an app might choose to respond to, yeah. you know, like the human actions uh, as or by whatever. Um, but like the... Yeah, and, and so when you're playing that app so many times, so many turns go by where it's just like, yep, spawn more guys, yep, move the guys up, yep, spawn more guys, yep. and it just, it doesn't feel like the app is really taking into account the entire milieu of the game, you know, mm-hmm. and and it, so it doesn't feel natural, and it does just feel like this slog, um, and... But yeah, I mean, playing actual Imperial Assault, it's still in my collection because one day I'm hoping to do that again, you know? Um, <laughs> it, it also has those skirmish rules in it where you can play it as a war game against somebody, you know? Yeah, and and yeah. I'd like to check that out someday too. Um, and there's a little part of me that still wants to give... A second shot to the app and see, like you know does this come together at some point when i played it before i played it cooperatively with my wife is is the reason why it was boring because you're only controlling one character and you only do one or two things with that character would it be more interesting if i was playing a team of two or three or four Hmm. so i feel like there's still maybe a little bit of chance that there's some hope that that app might be entertaining in certain situations right uh so I'm, i'm willing to try it another couple times when i get you know get around to it but the experiences we've had so far have been, you know, with the app, pretty disappointing. Yeah, very much so. Yeah.
1: All, All right. right. Number yeah.
0: six. Number six. Uh, this is a game <laughs> that had quite a bit of hype around it. I believe there's still kind of a bit of hype around it. I know, and it's that really is popular. Villainous, uh, Disney's Villainous. Uh, it is very popular, yes. It's it's a game that I believe like was initially released. It's one of those games that I think like had a special release at Target or something like that, and then kinda had like a wider release. That seems to be a common thing these days. Um, especially with the licensed games. Mm. But uh, so we talked about Villainous two years ago after playing it at Gen Con 2019. Uh, we hadn't played it at that point, and we knew that it was incredibly popular with like, you know, the board game community, I guess, people. Um and when we sat down to play it, it was like, you, you are playing this villain. You have this goal. Now search your deck until you find the card that lets you complete the goal. And that's what it, that, that's what the game feels like. Now, there's other things going on, like you can play problematic cards that cause, you know, like, issues for your opponents at the table by playing heroes onto their tableau or whatever, and you know, you can, you can like, you know, gum up the works by gumming up some of the locations that they can use on their own little player board and everything, Um, and so there's a little bit of a game there with that, but when actually trying to work towards the you know, like, the success goals that you've got, it just kind of feels like milling your deck, the board game, and, (laughs) like, there's the potential that somebody gets the cards they really need far, far earlier than someone else. And it's just based on the luck of a shuffle. Yeah.
1: And this, I, I don't remember enough about it to say this, but I, I feel like it could be something having to do with like the particular villains that people play. Some of them what were easier different than mechanics others. I are. Think, yeah.
0: yeah. We, we've played it two or three times. Yeah, I think we played, we played once on Tabletop Simulator. We did. We might have played two games on Tabletop Simulator, actually. I think we might have done, like, one one night and one another. Um, but, yeah, like, so we've played at least two times, maybe three. Um, and, and, yeah, there, there definitely seemed to be, like, certain villains that had, I don't know, like like goals that maybe were a little bit more interesting than others, right? Like, to try to accomplish. Yeah. Uh, that, that were, like, a little bit more complicated in terms of, like, you know, get this thing, shuffle it over there, now shuffle it back here, you know, like that sort of a thing. Rather than just find this thing, now find this thing, now find this thing, and now you're done. Some <laughs> of them work that way, where it's like, you need these three oh, cards much. and yeah. then you're good, you know? Yeah. Um. And so, that that creates a bit of a discrepancy between, you know, like the experience of playing one villain versus the other, uh, you know, maybe frustration playing against a villain that is maybe a little easier to grasp or complete the goal of when you're playing somebody that's like you know, like like somebody that's just looking for a particular card to start a quest and then you don't get that until, you know, you're three quarters of the way through your deck while mm-hmm. meanwhile somebody else has been, you know completing their thing the whole game and feeling like they're making progress and you've just been biding your time that's really disappointing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's there's... a disappointing game experience. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of treading water in that game. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, after after just seeing the amount of excitement around this game and, and like, you know, all of the praise people were heaping on it, it fell way short of my expectations in terms of a game, in terms of the gameplay. Now, Neither Jason nor I are big Disney fans at all, so I don't feel like there's any part of us that is going to, like, allow the property to kind of, like, you know, carry us through the doldrums of the game or anything. Like, I don't get all excited when suddenly, you know, like, Sleepy Dwarf comes out in my deck or whatever. (laughs) Sleepy Dwarf. (laughs) Um, That does nothing for me. All I cared about was, is the game good? And I didn't think it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I yeah, I I concur with that
1: sentiment. I I I like some Disney stuff, but I'm certainly not a huge fan. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so the the draw of the characters is just not enough to overwhelm some pretty boring gameplay.
0: And I I can see that if you are a Disney fan, right? Especially if you're like a Disney household, like if you're one of those people. Yeah, for sure. Um, like like my this, sister would probably love this. Yeah, like y- y- you bring it to the table, play it with your kids of a certain age, right? The kids right. that are, you know, yeah. like, you know, old enough to play these types of games. And and that's probably a decent family night, you know, because yeah, like, everybody's going to be excited. I got Peter Pan! Whatever, that's right? That's the other
1: thing I was thinking is like, maybe for people that have children that this could it could account for some of the hype like it
0: could be like a decent family game that you play with your kids yeah i mean there's a lot of things that you can do that aren't like the deepest most strategic games that it's like that was a decent night because i like doing something with you you know like with, with another person with your kids whatever and so this game's probably fine in that situation but for us looking for a game that had a lot of hype around it and expecting you know like something exciting mechanically it wasn't that yeah exactly yeah all right
1: next Next, number five, is Fireball Island, The Curse of Volcar.
0: Uh, What, you say? I know. (laughs) We gave this game quite a good review, Jason. We did,
1: and it's still a good game. I mean, it's not not a bad game by any means. It's just, so uh, this one might be a little bit more particular to me, but it's, uh, so uh, this is the reimagined version of the classic game from the 80s um, just Fireball Island. Um, and I have a long history with that Fireball Island game. It was, it was a game that I got for Christmas one year. I never thought I would get it. And my parents got it for me. Uh, and we played the crap out of this game as a family. Uh, we played it for years. Even now my sister will come to my house and be like, Hey, let's get out Fireball Island. Like, and what was great about the original Fireball Island was that it's, Certainly not the most complex uh game there are very few decisions to be made, if any um, but the thing that was great about it was that you were constantly rolling these little marbles all over this sculpted board, knocking over your friends and family, and essentially racing to the end of the board. That's about it and that that in itself was hella fun. <laughs> You know, having that feeling where like maybe like your dad gets to the, like so close to winning and then you just knock him down, yep. steal that win right from under him. Like that kind of stuff, that pressure, that intensity, that racing to to achieve a goal uh, was just really, really, really fun, regardless of the fact that it's basically a roll and move game.
0: There, there's still that level of, or there's still that, that element of competition there, right? Like of direct confrontational competition like I am going to push you into the mud and take this out of your hands and I'm going to step on you on my way over this (laughs) over this mud pile and I'm going to keep going (laughs) <laughs> Good luck catching me, you right, know. Exactly. That's Fireball Island. Fireball Island 2, Fireball Island with the of car is more like hey, um collectathon. Yo, you're going over there to that end of the island. Well, pfft, I'm going over here to the other end of the island and then it's just sort of like this almost like zero-sum game of like just who <laughs> happens to edge out the other person and the number of little tokens they can pick up right yeah. there are rules in the game where you can still like steal things from people right like essentially do the same like knock you over and take your stuff sort of mechanics but the game has been broadened to the point where you can avoid that now as well it's pretty easy to avoid that and so that that like cutthroat you know Competitive nature of the game got really, really, really lessened in the in the follow up Curse yeah, the Car.
1: And just a simple thing with like being able to go on different sides of the island, or di- completely different paths, or whatever else, or completely different boards because there's like add on yeah. boards you can yeah, go yeah. to. So in the original game, there was one board. There were there was basically one path, although there were a couple of branches that maybe you could take. But in any yeah. given situation, if you roll the fireball. You could take out like i don't know two to three competitors at a yeah. time uh in the newer version like it's very very targeted like i I want to get this person, you know, and so yeah. I'll roll this fireball and and you maybe
0: knock over that one person, and then that's it. i feel like I feel like more often than not if somebody falls over during a fireball event, it's because of vibrations and not because of an yeah, actual not collision. because of the- act-
1: yeah exactly yeah. that's the other thing it's like the original game was. Really good about funneling those balls and knocking over player characters. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, it's still it's still a, a it's a good game. It's a decent game about uh, with, with some sort of more sophisticated mechanics, certainly than the original one.
0: But it just doesn't have the same oomph and well, excitement.
1: I, <laughs> I, I
0: think it's sort of the opposite problem of you know, a streamlined too streamlined, right? Like we we're talking about with. Uh, Mansions of Madness, like sanding yeah. off the edges to the point where now it's dull, right? Well, right. in this one, it's the opposite. Like <laughs> you've taken a you've taken a pretty narrow narrow experience, and you've broadened it and added so much stuff to it that now it's overly complicated in some ways. Not that any of the the mechanics are complicated and difficult to uh, grasp or understand; they're not. Like you could teach this game to a four year old. I've done it, but There's just so many things in the game that it starts to feel fiddly and annoying sometimes. Like now my my now six-year-old loves this game and he's like dad let's play fireball island and every time i groan and i'm like oh do we have to <laughs> cuz that means i'm going to be setting up like 60 some tokens and we're going to have to like set up the board and how many decks are there and how many of these decks are expansion decks or promo decks or whatever that i don't have to use and which ones do i have to use i always have to look that information up yeah. it's just it's just such a bloated experience at this point that it kind of annoys me to have to deal with it playing the game is still fun but the, the the setting it up and everything is sort of like, Ugh, I never really want to do it.
1: Yeah, they took the one thing that the original game did well and the thing that made it fun and diluted it.
0: Yeah, and then added a bunch of other stuff to try yeah. to you know like like make it more modern. And in some ways it succeeded, but in other ways I think it was you know like it, it sort of makes the game a little less exciting to engage with. So yeah, yeah, little disappointment there, huh? A little huh? bit but still yeah. a good game.
1: I feel like yeah. I have to keep saying that. We're not ragging on these games except maybe Villainous. A lot of the <laughs> a lot of them are still good games, uh, just not not what we were hoping.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so and uh, speaking of, moving on to number 4. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Yes. Uh, not season 1, not season 0. Those games are perfect. Mm. Chef's Kiss, uh, <laughs> Pandemic Legacy Season Two was a really fun game for a really long time. We came off Legacy Season One feeling like that was one of the best experiences we'd ever had in a board game, maybe the best experience we'd ever had in a board game, and we were we had high hopes for Legacy Season Two, and it seemed to be living up to those hopes for quite a while. But as you get towards the end of the game especially the final mission, one thing that happened to us was that a lot of the decisions that we had made up to that point and a lot of the work we had put into the game to try to, you know, um, improve our situations to make ourselves stronger, whatever. A lot of that got turned against us and it made the end scenario almost impossible to pass in a way that was not fun. It wasn't a fun challenge. It was just angering. It was just infuriating, (laughs) And so to have such high expectations for the game in general, but then also to have, like, you know, had a pretty decent experience through the bulk of the, you know, the, like, the, the campaign, to have it all culminate in one big, just sort of, like, poke in the eye um, <laughs> was one of the most disappointing singular experiences I've had in a board game. Uh, and it, it soured the entire game for us. Like, when we look at Pandemic Season 2, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, I mean, we, we have antipathy towards that game because of how, how it eventually kind of turned on us. Mm. Um, you know, that. Also, kind of like led us to be like, do we really want to get season zero when it came around? And I was like, yeah, or I'll throw it into a you know like a, a an online order so it'll help me get to free shipping or whatever. And uh, oh, lo and behold, that game is fantastic, and <laughs> you know like kind of turned us back around and, and the other way. Now we're we're big fans again of Pandemic Legacy. Uh, but yeah, season two was a decent game for a while, and then just kind of subsequently got worse and worse until it finally was like, oh. Actually, this game is aggressively, you know, bad <laughs> to you, specifically to us, because of, I don't know if this happens to everybody, but it sure turned on us in a way that we did not expect, and, uh, you know, it, it makes you resent the game a bit when it takes your own choices that you've made in order to, you know, like, like sacrifice certain things or or put certain resources into things, and then it takes that and turns it against you. Boy, does that make me mad. <laughs>
1: yeah, that sounds like an incredibly frustrating experience. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have not played this game, so I, I can't really add a whole lot to it, but just the way you describe it, uh, it sort of, sort of is giving me a
0: secondhand trauma. Uh-huh. Which is how <laughs> I felt when you were describing to me our number three game on this oh, list. Oh, yeah. Number three
1: is probably the biggest disappointment for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> Uh so number 3 is uh Road to Enlightenment. Um this was a game that I was really really excited for. Um it's <sighs> It takes a historical era that, first of all, I'm uh, I'm supposedly an expert in because I, I,
0: I <laughs> supposedly well, supposedly it was it was one of my fields
1: for my doctorate. So yes, I am a, an Enlightenment scholar, you could say. Did this game make you doubt your own uh, expertise in the area? <laughs> was it that bad? No, and, and it might have even been because of my expertise, but but <laughs> I, no, but um, but I, so first of all, I'm a big fan of the historical era. Secondly, I was really really interested in the way that they were going to take a historical moment that's characterized by ideas like just intellectualism um and turn that into into a board game and they did it in a way that on paper sounded awesome um it was uh sort of like a combination between uh between a uh some kind of war game um uh, or you know, that that game based on the Reformation, uh, here I stand, where you know the uh, based on Martin Luther and the, the yeah. sort of um, <clears throat> you know, the religious stuff. So there, so anyway, it took this kind of like war game about Europe um, and mixed that with various personalities from the enlightenment and the various historical backgrounds that they brought and the ideas that they could bring. And you sort of collected them and, uh, and they could bring glory and advantage to your civilization. And then you mixed that with, uh, antagonism towards certain religious backgrounds and then certain political
0: movements that were going on at the time. And of sounds like a terrible, terrible, (laughs) like, like theme, right? Like just, just like the worst kind of, I know, but human behavior.
1: (laughs) I know, I know. And it could have been so interesting. And I was, and I was really interested in how they were going to do this mechanically, uh, with the collection of these, what they called luminaries, you know, you were collecting these various scholars and thinkers and scientists and, um, and, and how that was going to, you know, ascend your civilization and into the new age or whatever. And it turned out to be unplayable, um, because primarily because the rules were really subpar um there were whole elements of the game that were not addressed in the rule book uh yeah (laughs) i mean even setup was a nightmare because they just kind of forgot to put certain things in it and then you could kind of get around that with like the help of some very very helpful people from the internet who were trying as desperately as i was to really like this game um but in the end, it still was just basically unplayable. Half of the rules didn't make sense. You didn't really know what to do or how to make decisions, um, and I couldn't get through even a single a single round, a single turn. Um, and it really, really broke my heart
0: because I wanted this game to be so, so good. Did. Did the designer or the publisher do anything afterwards to try to remedy the problems, like issuing like a, a 1.1 or 2.0 rule set so or anything like that? So
1: there was, at one point, um, uh, a, a push on the part of the game designer to uh, release a revised version of the rules, um, and they appeared in draft form, and, and that was it. They never... Um They never moved forward with an official second rule set. Uh, The draft form itself fixed some of the issues, but by far not all of them. Hmm. Um, And I believe at one point the designer actually posted and said, uh, we're no longer supporting this title. Sorry. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty crummy on their part. I know. And I get the feeling that he was as disappointed about it as the rest of us, because this was obviously... Uh,
0: I don't remember the publisher. The designer is Dirk Nehmeyer. Okay, well, if he was trying to, you know, like remedy the problems, then it's not on him, right? Right.
1: Well, Alcaso kind of feels like he gave up because so the the draft rule set was published by him, and I don't think it came from the game publisher. It was just posted as a file on on BoardGameGeek, and then he posted himself again, not under the not under the 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 publisher's name, saying that. You know that we've gone about as far as we can go with this, and and we're we're not going to go anymore. And I, I really got the feeling that he was as disappointed about it as the rest of us were, because it's obvious that he poured a lot of time and effort and thought and love into this game,
0: and and it just didn't pan out. Published by Conquistador Games Incorporated. Yeah, I don't know anything. Calling you out, Conquistador. <laughs> Finish your rule book. Yeah,
1: I know. I know. I would dearly, dearly love for there to be like a a better version of this game. Surely the community
0: has made something playable out of this, right? They've tried.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean,
0: people have tried real hard to make this work. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, that's that's disappointing. Yeah, I just looked it up on Board Game Geek, and the the game is from 2012. So yeah. I don't think there's going to be a lot of traction on that one anytime soon. Mm-mm. Yeah, okay. Number 2 Jason uh is Forbidden Sky. Mm-hmm. This is the follow-up or the third game in the Forbidden series which includes Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, um Forbidden Stars? No. I think, not, no, I've not written Forbidden Sky series. is the third one, and then... No, I was just joking. Oh. <laughs> forbidden... There's That's the joke, right? I mean, there's the Forbidden series, and you just include Forbidden Stars in there, even though it's actually StarCraft. It <laughs> has nothing to do with those other games at all. There's no crossover, no Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, Forbidden uh, Sky. Yeah, so this was... um, This was... Uh, is it Matt Leacock? Is he the one who yeah. did this yeah, one? Yeah, it's Matt Leacock. Was that... Yeah, Matt Leacock. So, uh, pandemic guy, right? He's the guy that did pandemic. Uh, he made, uh, two other relatively simple to play, but sometimes, you know, like difficult to, to win cooperative board games. Uh, Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. Jason and I are both on record as saying Forbidden Desert is one of our favorite games. I kind of forgot it existed for the last couple years, so I don't know if I could still say that, but for quite a few years, I mean, like, it was a staple. It was one that I would pull out with anybody that didn't want, like, a deep or long or complicated board game and and wanted something maybe cooperative. Uh, Forbidden Desert was the one, you know, for me. Uh, You and I have played it together just as like a, let's, you know, let's finish the night up with something fun that is, you know, not going to burn our brains out and isn't going to take all night because you can play it in about forty five minutes, uh, and so we were you know like like extremely excited about a third game in that series, uh, and, and at that point you know it, there had just been improvement right like Forbidden Island is fine yep. Forbidden Desert took a lot of those things and kind of like made it even more interesting and intricate and and. and playable yeah. um, and satisfying. And and so we were like, Forbidden Skies coming out in, what it was it, like 2017 or something? It was one of those Gen Cons yeah. you and I went to. Yeah. Uh, and and we were like, well, we gotta get a copy of this, right? And we got there, and uh, like Villainous, apparently had a lot of hype around it, that it wasn't just us that were interested, because there was just this line for that booth that was like wrapping around the inside of the, the exposition hall, right? Yeah, it was like, a hot seller. It looked like hour-long waits hours long wait maybe for for that game and we were just like okay well we know this is going to make it to the game stores we don't have to pick it up at Gen con so we didn't buy it right away right Right, i ended up getting it for christmas later that year i think i got
1: it at barnes and noble for like a discount
0: yeah and and then we sat down and played it separately and both came to the conclusion that this is this is not as good of a game by any stretch right like it's (laughs) it's um just a little bit more fiddly, not just in terms of rules, but like actual components like the, yeah, because the bits in the game. Yeah. Like you're supposed to be building an electrical circuit with these little like plastic, like length pieces that have connectors on both ends that you, you kind of stick to like, you know, I think it's like magnetized or whatever, like, yeah. you know, the parts that are supposed to hold it all together, essentially, as you build out this map. Um, and it was just incredibly very frustratingly difficult to play yeah. both in terms of the rules and the difficulty of the game, but also the actual physically building the game out um, <laughs> and, and sort of the intersection between those two frustrations just made me not love it at all. Right. Like I, yeah. and, and I don't, I think I played 10 games before I won once something like, yeah, that, that was know?
1: the thing that struck me too, is that this game is hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like, you know, misbalanced uh in the wrong direction i think i you know i i think that um i always felt like forbidden desert if you're not playing on easy was the perfect difficulty for a board game. Like you have a shot at winning that. If you make all the right decisions, yeah. you're giving yourself a pretty good shot of winning that game. There's still enough random chance in there that you could, you know, like lose the game, Um, you know, or, or if you don't make, you know, like the right decision, given the situation, you're going to lose the game. Um, But it, it felt like, you know, a winnable, but still challenging game at all times. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing that's great about Friedman Desert. Yeah, this one just felt like it's designed to make you lose most of the time unless you happen to get just the right amount of luck. Yeah. <laughs> I've never won a game. I've played maybe five times.
1: I've, n- I've never won a single one of them.
0: I've probably played it 20 times by now. I've I'm done playing it. I've put it back on the shelf, and I'm just like, I'm just going to stick this here and maybe trade it or sell it at some point or maybe just hold on to it until one of the kids wants to try it out because yeah. there is a rocket that makes noise and lights <laughs> up, so that's fun. That is fun. But uh, that's, you know, probably the most exciting thing about the game, other than just the fact that you can also kind of use it as a science lesson and, and how circuits work. If you can um, get it to
1: work, is the, the other part. Right,
0: point. yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was very disappointing, given the, the, the pedigree, given our history with that series, um, and then just given sort of the, the, the overall, you know, design of the game and, and just sort of how sort of frustrating it is to actually have to physically work with and everything. Um. So, yep, that was number two, Forbidden Sky. Yep. Number one, Jason. Number
1: one. Number one is Massive Darkness. Mm. Um. So this is a Simon game uh, that we've yeah. talked about a couple times. We talked about the yeah. first edition
0: and then also the newer one. Yeah, we tried the the demo out on uh, Tabletop Simulator when it was in Kickstarter.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. We both backed the first edition. Uh. On Kickstarter, we got. Our mountains of plastic ages um, ago yeah. <laughs> yeah um and it was billed as um sort of a, a it was built as a dungeon crawler which it is but also a dungeon crawler that had some uh some interesting mechanics and wanted you to be able to make choices about and meaningful choices about your your character development and uh mm-hmm. and and how you approach Uh, the situation
0: over the length of a a campaign. Yeah, it's a campaign dungeon crawler, and it was built as a campaign dungeon crawler at a time when the market wasn't flooded with those. So at a time when we were looking for one, right? When we were trying to find... Essentially, when Jason and I were probably looking for what would be a modern hero quest, right? Like something that allows us to take the same characters through multiple dungeons and a storyline uh some character progression you know like feeling like you're you're getting stronger throughout like a d and d campaign right like yeah. that's That's what we were hoping for was a board game version of that. That's what it said. It was, it had a lot of things that sounded real cool. Like, you know, the class that you are, isn't necessarily the character that you are. So you might have a character that looks like a wizard, but you can stick him uh, on a character sheet that says now he's a barbarian. And so you have (laughs) access to all these, like, you know, barbarian skills that you can get, uh, in addition to his innate wizard powers or whatever. And so you could mix and match types of characters with, you know, like these different class sheets and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that all sounded really cool, and then we got the game and we tried it out. Yeah, and it wasn't, it wasn't as good as it sounded. <laughs> no, um, I mean, and that said, I mean, it's a it's a fine dungeon crawler. Yeah, I mean it it, it it's in the it's basically. It's basically like a. It uses the same sort of mechanics as a Zombicide. Like it feels very much like a like a, a little bit of a an altered Zombicide game. And so if you know what that game's like, it's it's very much like a dice chucking, you know, like low stakes sort of dungeon crawly or like you know like skirmishy type game. And Zombicide's fine for what it is, and and Massive Darkness, if you're playing it like that, is also fine for what it is. Like right. you can have fun with it. But what but it is what,
1: is not how it was sold.
0: Yes, if you're looking. for... <laughs> For a game with very interesting and satisfying character progression and a very interesting and satisfying campaign, it isn't that. That was something that they, you know, like they said that they were adding or whatever at, at some point. And it just didn't, it just didn't satisfy. Like the, the character progression to me always felt like this zero-sum game because, and it just made, it, the way that the character sheets work, so much of it was just like, okay, now you're better at range. So, you know, like plus one to range or plus one to, you know, like dice when you make this kind of attack or whatever minus one to, you know, like the, the defense dice of the person that you're attacking or whatever. And that all just feels like variations of the same thing. Yeah. Plus, one, plus, plus one, minus one one somewhere. And so it didn't feel like any of the perks or very many of the perks or skills or whatever you were unlocking were... Were interesting they were all just like you know number manipulation and at that point it doesn't matter what class i am like it doesn't matter whether i'm getting a plus one to my attack because i'm a barbarian doing a heavy hit or because i'm a wizard that's adding fire to this attack the same <laughs> it's the same kidding, difference it's, one, it's just yeah. plus yeah. one yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and there was so much of the character progression that felt like that to me that that was super disappointing um and then i think just like you know the the, the rest of the campaign didn't do Enough, I think, to make it feel like a very interesting campaign in terms of like, you know, how you get gear and, you know, like level up and, and yeah. you know, the way that the, the 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 different missions kind of like, you know, didn't chain together in an interesting way. Um, it just fell short of that promise of being a really interesting big box campaign game that then other games came along within a year or two and really, you know, like knocked it out of the park. And right, so. yeah. Yeah. So now looking back like there's just no reason to have massive darkness if what you're looking for is a campaign style board game. There's a million alternative choices out there that are way better at being a campaign board yeah, game. Yeah. Go get Gloomhaven. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean like even Sword and Sorcery we've played yeah, it's got its issues it's got its problems, with, we've got its but issues yeah. but it's it's way better than that. Um and there's You know, like, there's really only one use case for Massive Darkness at this point, which is either, I guess maybe two, you like the minis, and you just want to paint and maybe, like, you know, use the minis in some other game, or you just want a real casual... You know, hack and slash game. Mm-hmm. In which case, it it's that, and yeah. that's fine. Yeah, which you can certainly. Um, you don't have to play the campaign. You can just play scenarios. Yeah. And that's how I've played it in the past. When I still had the game, because now I've sold it. But when I had the game, that's how we enjoyed it. Yeah. It's just as a, you know, one off hack and slash experience with very fast character progression throughout the mission, and that's it. You know, not yeah, worrying like, about the like campaign Zombicide. progression or anything <laughs> yep, like Zombicide. Um and and then I decided why do I I don't need two of these. So I kept Zombicide <laughs> Black Plague and I got rid of Massive of Darkness.
1: So. Yeah. Um yep. and so yeah, there it is. Fine Amen. fine game, fine Dungeon Crawler. Sort of a disappointment.
0: Yep. Yep, just because it promised to be a campaign game a campaign style game and it it, it wasn't that yeah, interesting so. of a campaign. So <laughs> Yeah. <I know. laughs> Yep. Yep. All right. So those are our ten most disappointing games. Hopefully, we didn't drag any of them too badly, and you know, hopefully, we weren't too 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 big of bullies here because that makes me feel bad. But I don't know. Like, I feel like just saying this could have been better if this was better. I feel like that's just criticism, you know. And so, yeah, that's what I'm hoping. for. I don't think we were that mean. I hope not. Uh, if you'd like to email us or get in, get a hold of us somehow and let us know if we were too mean, in fact, how would they do so, Jason? All right. So to get your flame on, uh, you
1: can email us. It's podcast at limitedplaytime.com. You can go to the website, limitedplaytime.com. You can uh, tw- tweet us, Twitter us. <laughs> you can tweet us at limitedplaytime or go to Instagram at limitedplaytimepodcast.
0: Twitter me, senpai. <laughs> Is that a thing the kids say in the animes? I don't know. I I hope it is. That sounds funny. I hope so, too. (laughs) If not, we need to make our own anime. Exactly. Another project. Great. Uh, Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in two weeks with... Are we going to do a review next, or are we going to do that other list we were talking about? I don't know. I feel like we should do the list. (laughs) I feel like... we. I think we're going to do a follow-up list to this one. Uh. Top 10 surprises. <laughs> so the the inverse of this list. Yes. Uh, companion piece. These, these were our disappointments. These are our pleasant surprises. <laughs> things that we didn't have as high of expectations uh, for that then turned out to exceed our expectations. So that's what we're going to be doing in uh, two weeks. So look forward to that. And we'll see you then. Later. Thanks, everybody. Bye.